Let's join the worship center at Life Church, where the service is already in progress. We're talking about restoring and how God wants restoration for us. He wants us restored back to the time of the Garden of Eden. God wants that relationship renewed and set right, and everything restored back to His design. You know, before we talked about this, we talked about the commander's intent for our life and how God has a design for us and how He wants to restore us back. To his original creation that he made in the Garden of Eden. The whole entire Bible is all about restoration. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about restoring man back in relationship with him, in friendship with him, in covenant with him. Psalm 23 talks about it. It says, The Lord is my shepherd to feed and guide and shield me. I shall not lack. He makes me to lie down in fresh, tender, green pasture. He leads me beside the still and the restful waters. He refreshes and restores my life. That's what God wants to do for us. He wants to refresh and restore our life. You might have gone through a week this week where you just feel exhausted and you feel like you weren't going to be able to make it another step. God wants to refresh and restore your life. He doesn't want us living like that. He doesn't want us living exhausted, worn out, messed up lives. He wants to refresh and restore and renew and regenerate on us, our spirit man. He leads me in the paths of righteousness, uprightness and right standing with Him for His name's sake. Yes, Though I walk through the deep, sunless valley of the shadow of death, I will fear or dread no evil. Why? You are with me. Your rod to correct and protect and your staff to God, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My brimming cup runs over. Surely! Goodness and mercy and unfailing love will follow me all the days of my life. And through the length of my days, the house of the Lord and His presence shall be my dwelling place. Amen. That's what God wants for us. He wants His presence to be our dwelling Amen. place. So He talks about it, uh, David talks about it in Psalm 91, in the secret place of the Most High, under the shadow of the Almighty. That's where God wants us to dwell. That's where we find restoration. That's where we find refreshing. That's where He restores our life. Walking in His path of righteousness, in the way, the truth, and the life, His way of doing things. We talk about being in Christ, and Jesus said when he was on the earth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we're talking about being in Christ, we're talking about being in the way, walking in the way, walking in the truth, walking in the life that he has designed for us. He wants to restore us. And last week we talked about the crux of the matter, the, the very key thing that must be restored for us to have this refreshing, God-centered life. We talked about our joy and how important it is that we maintain our joy. And I hope this week when you were given opportunity, because we are all given opportunity to lose our joy and hand it over 
We don't lose it. It's not like we misplace it. We hand it over to the circumstances and situations of life. And I hope when you have those opportunities this week that you resisted them. Why? Because we're told resist the devil and he will flee. This week we're going to talk about restoring our relationships. And to be honest, we may not get all the way through with it this week. And we may continue on the next week. Relationships are like gardens. And they must be cultivated and nurtured. And although it can be a difficult thing to do, broken relationships can be restored. You may have some relationships in your life that are currently under stress. There are situations going on in stressful circumstances that are causing brokenness in your relationship. God wants to restore us in every area. Maybe your marriage is going through a difficult time right now. God wants to restore your relationship. Maybe your situation with your son or daughter or your parent is not going like you want it to. God wants to restore our relationships. Mm. And so we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about relationships and how God's design is for restoration. Now, we're not talking about bad relationships because the Bible clearly tells us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So I'm not talking about restoring relationships with people God never intended us to be in covenant with. But our marriages are our friendships that maybe have gone awry and we messed it up. How can we restore? How can we put those things back together? And what does the Bible have to say about it? So we're going to look at five steps to restoring relationships. And somewhere down the line, I'm not sure exactly when, I've got so much in my mind that I know that God wants us to go through, and I don't know when and how I'm going to go through each of the things. But somewhere down the line, we're going to look at what it means to have healthy relationships in our marriages, in our families, with our kids, and what those, mar- and what those relationships look like according to the Word of God. What healthy, God-centered relationships look like. Because many times in life, we, we don't set God-appropriated boundaries and things get all out of sorts and out of whack in our relationships. But today we're going to key in and focus on, because we're talking about restoration, how to restore a broken relationship, whether it's with a family member or a friend or your spouse. <clears throat> the first step is to be sure that all are committed with love. Loss of a commitment in relationships will lead to the relationship breaking apart. And it's easy to see that in marriages. Because people aren't committed these days. They make a decision one day and then change their mind the next. They say, I'm going to do this, and then they don't back up what they say. There is a loss of a sense of commitment and loyalty in our generation that's living on this earth. Our parents' parents, all you had to do back in the day, I remember in my grandpa's day, all you had to do was shake somebody's hand, and we didn't need 50 pages to settle any kind of agreement or buy or sell anything, or you didn't have to have four notaries and and 50 pages of contracts and two or three lawyers to get something done. You just shook hands and said you were going to do it. But our sense of commitment is so out of sorts these days. 
And if we're going to restore our relationships, the first thing that we have to do is decide that we are committed to this relationship. If it's with your spouse and you're having issues and problems that you don't feel like you're able to get a breakthrough on, the first decision that you have to make is we are committed. My parents used to always say that when they got married, divorce was just never an option. And Josh and I, when we got married, we decided way before that it didn't matter what happened. Divorce was not an option. We were committed. We were in this thing. And if you have experienced and gone through divorce, I'm not here condemning you. God loves you. In the relationship that you are now in, though, make a decision to be committed. Make a decision to be committed. My mom tells a story, and many of you probably know it, early on in my parents' marriage, that um, they had gotten to a big old fight. I mean, a big old fight. And mom looked at him and just got so mad and laid herself across the bed and started crying. And then she hopped up and started packing everything into her little suitcase. Now, what some of you may not know is right after they got married, they were 17. They just graduated high school. Right after they got married, they moved to Dallas. When they pulled up into the place where their apartment was, their car broke down as it was pulling into the parking spot. (laughs) So they didn't have a car anymore. They were walking and taking the bus wherever they went. So mom's sitting here in the apartment packing up her things, and my dad starts laughing at her. And, of course, that makes her mad a little bit. Because you don't want somebody laughing at you when you're trying to come a show of force and that you're frustrated and pay attention. <laughs> and he said, what do you think you're doing, Ben? She said, well, I'm packing up and going home. And he said, well, how are you getting there? The car's broke down. We don't have any money for bus tickets. You just might as well unpack and put your stuff back. They made a decision then to be committed. 49 years later, still committed until the day that he passed away. God is looking for commitment. Not only commitment to him, but commitment in our relationships. So the very first step to restoring your relationship is deciding that you're going to be committed to that relationship. And that no matter what happens, you're committed. Cultivation of the relationship will require lots of commitment and lots of love. And then asking the other person if they're willing to make a commitment too in your relationship. Commitment is the first step. John 15, 12 through 14 says, this is my commandment. That you love one another just as I have loved you. And no greater love, no stronger affection has anyone shown than to lay down or give up his own life for his friends. You are my friends if you keep on doing the things which I committed to you to do. Sacrificial love. Love that says, you know what? I may be frustrated, but that hasn't changed my commitment. I may be upset with this person, but that hasn't changed my commitment to this relationship. 
Agape love that no matter what, you're committed. The warms and the fuzzies may not currently be there, but you're making an effort to daily commit to that relationship. We should be this way with God. We may not always feel warms and fuzzies when it comes to our relationship with God. We may wake up some mornings and, well, you know, not even feel like we have salvation. But that doesn't change our commitment level to God. All of these things that we're looking at today that can be put in our, our relationships here on earth can also be applied to our relationship with God because maybe you feel like you've been kind of at long distance with God. You still love Him. You still want to serve Him, but you feel like it's kind of been one of those long distance relationships for a little while. How do I get back to that close, intimate, personal relationship with God? The same way that we're talking about with these steps with our relationships in the world. Sacrificial love. Not based on our feelings, but based on our faith. Not based by our emotions, but based by our commitment. God wants us to be committed to Him. And then if we are going to restore relationships here on earth, we must be committed to that relationship. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. This is the love chapter. Talks all about love. And verse 4 says, Love endures long. Love endures when the socks are in the middle of the floor. Love endures when the seat is moved up because your honey is short. Love endures. When the laundry just didn't get done. Love endures when the picture still hadn't hung that was asked to be hung four years ago. <laughs> Love endures long. Love endures when you've asked your kid for the 50th time to go clean their room. Love endures. When you're an adult and your parent is just so on your nerves because they're trying to still be your parent. Love endures long. And is patient. And is kind. So it's not just endurement. I'm putting up with you, but I don't even like it. It's being patient and kind in the endurement. And sometimes that is so hard to do with people. Because you just want to knock some sense into them. <laughs> Love is never envious, nor bulls over with jealousy. It's not boastful. It doesn't display itself haughtily. It's not conceited or arrogant, inflated with pride. It's not rude or unmannerly. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't go off when you're frustrated. It doesn't say it always has to be my way of doing things because I've got the only way and it's the right way. 
And again, this goes along with God, our relationship with God. We must be patient and kind. Not prideful, not rude or unmanly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. If things constantly have to go the way that we want them to go, we are not walking in love. We are walking in a dictatorship. And if we look around, ain't nobody following. And that's where the frustration comes, because no one's following. It doesn't insist on its own rights, getting its own way, for it's not self-seeking. It's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It doesn't build up walls. It doesn't hold grudges. It doesn't get all out of sorts at the least little thing. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Well, if they wouldn't have done this, then I wouldn't have done that. It's all their fault. How many times I've heard that in school with little kids. Well, she pushed me, so I just backhanded her. <laughs> Don't we do that in adult life, too? Mm -hmm. Well, he hurt me, so I'm going to see how much I can hurt him. And it's his fault because he shouldn't have done it to me. I'll show him next time he leaves those socks in the middle of the kitchen. I'll show her next time she moves my tools out of the way that I want them. That's not God's design for our relationships. God's love is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It doesn't keep a record of the evil that's been done to it. How many times in our life do we see people and instantly just get flooded with frustration at them because of everything we feel like has been done to us? God hasn't designed us to live a victim mentality life. God doesn't want us to play the victim while we're here on earth. He wants you to be a victor, not a victim. A victor, life happens to them, and everything is everybody else's fault while they're in the situation that they're in. A victor walks in the confidence of God, knowing who they are in Christ. And it doesn't matter what happens to them in this world, because they're not of this world, just merely in it for a particular amount of time. Takes no account of the evil. How would our marriages and our relationships with our family change if we quit keeping record of everything they did to us? Well, you remember so-and-so and what they did. Just think about, remember what they did to me? Well, I'm just still frustrated after doing it. What a sense of freedom we would walk in. If we quit keeping records of everything everybody's done to us, and we walked in committed agape love, think about Jesus when he was here on this earth. 
They treated him like, they treated him bad. And he still was forgiving them, even while he was on the cross. Even while they were putting him to death. Now this is not a message to say be a doormat. We must set boundaries in our life. I'm reading a book on that now because that's something I need to work on. Setting boundaries in life. But we don't need to build walls. Boundaries and walls are two different things. Put your little checkbook of everything that everybody's ever done to you away. Keep no record of wrong. It doesn't rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. So this is not a, a quick, you know, fly-by-night commitment. This is an enduring commitment when we choose to love people. It doesn't go by warm fuzzies. It doesn't go by if the other person's treating us right. It's a choice that we make and manage that has a lot more to do with us than it ever has to do with the other person. It's freeing to walk in that God kind of love because you don't get offended when junk happens. Well, they just push my buttons. They're on my last nerve. We would have had a lot more nerve and buttons if we hadn't have been handing them out and giving them over to everybody that come along to let them push. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes its way. <coughs> it's ever ready to believe the best of every person. Evaluate your life and think, do you and I, do we believe the very best of people? Or do we automatically assume that they're doing something to us to try to get acts? My husband says that I do this, that I, I think the worst has happened. This was evident early on in our relationship because he lived in Tulsa to begin with and I lived here in Monticello. And so when we would be out of communication for a period of time, I was like, where have you been? I've been trying to get hold of you. Out of He's like, I'm not on the side of the road, Dan. <laughs> you always think that I'm going to be curled up on a tree somewhere dead. It believes the best of every person in every situation. Its hopes are fabulous under all circumstances. Evaluate your relationships. Do you believe the best of every person involved in your life? What would happen, those of us who are married, if we begin to believe the best in our spouse and we quit seeing the worst and we allow ourselves just to kind of put blinders on to the worst and only believe the best? 
And what if we only spoke into that best part of them and we didn't speak to the worst parts? It's easy to speak to the worst parts of a person. It's easy to identify flaws and nitpick and show where people have messed it up, according to us. What would happen in our friendships if we began to believe the best of people and speak to the best of people instead of speaking to them in their worst? What if we began to speak to the best parts of a person and begin to encourage them and build them up? Instead of finding every single thing that they've done incorrectly and pointing out to it. Love is ready to believe the best in every person. Amen. It hopes, and its hopes are faithless under all circumstances. So, when we love, and when we are showing God's love to people, we are hopeful under any circumstance. We believe that God is working in and through every circumstance. And we believe that as we line up our life with His commands and we're walking in the way, that He, the truth and the life that He's laid for us, that we can have hope and faith that God is working things for our good. Amen. Even when it doesn't look like it endures everything without weakening. Man, we you could have just wrote in all caps, endure for a really long time in a good mood about. God wants us to walk in enduring agape love with Him and with others. Love never fails. It never fades or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. So this is not a fly-by-night commitment. This is a choice to love no matter what. As for prophecy, it will be fulfilled and pass away. For tongues, they will be destroyed and ceased. For knowledge, it will pass away, lose its value, and be superseded by truth. But it goes on to say that at the end of the chapter... Faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. That's what the old English calls love. God wants us to have that agape love. Agape love towards Him. That we don't blame God for everything that happens to us. A lot of things that happen to us are because we happen to ourselves. And we put ourselves in the situations that we find ourselves in. So in our relationship with God, we're having a God-made love towards God. That no matter what, no matter whether the circumstance is favorable or unfavorable, no matter where I, whether I feel like every prayer is instantly answered or I'm, I'm having to wait and tarry, my commitment to God doesn't change. My resolve to God doesn't change. I will love God, and my commitment is sure no matter what. Amen. And then our relationships with our spouse and our family and our friends, I'm committed to this. I make a commitment to restore this relationship no matter how the person acts. Because people won't always act lovely. 
They won't. I won't always act lovely. <gasps> I'm going to try. But that doesn't mean it's going to always 100% of the time happen. But we strive to walk. Like Paul said, I'm pressing for that mark of holiness. I'm pressing towards the mark. My aim is to live like Jesus lived while he was on the earth. And what did he do while he was on the earth? He loved everyone. No matter what. 1 Peter 1.22 Since by your obedience to the truth of the Holy Spirit you have purified your heart for the sincere affection of the brethren, see that you love one another fervently from a pure heart. So we need to love people without ulterior motives. I'll love you as long as you can do something for me. As long as you're of usefulness and value to me, then I love you. And that's not what God wants for our life. He wants agape love, love that endures, no matter whether the person is useful to you or not. God doesn't want us to walk in a manipulative love that only has affection and, and when we're getting what we want in return. Again, it's easy to illustrate this in marriage. You're frustrated with your spouse, so you turn it all off and you just, you're just done and you don't show any love, you're curt, you know, you're not nice and, and you just quit, your love has shut down. God hasn't designed us to walk in that manner. God wants our motives to be pure. That we don't love somebody simply because what they can do for us. We love them because God's agape love flows through us to that person, no matter whether they can or can't do anything for us. From a pure heart, from right motives, that's where love needs to come. Love even when you're frustrated. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up contention, but love covers all transgression. Mm -hmm. If we bring hatred to the mix in our relationships, it's just going to make problems. That's all it's going to do. It's just going to cause problems with everyone around us. If we have hatred for our boss, it's just going to cause us to have horrible days in work. You're not going to have fun. You're not going to enjoy life because you're going to be mad at your boss all the time. And then all that time that you spend at work, you're going to be stressed and upset and you're going to have all of this contention just rolling around in you. God wants us to walk in love with everyone. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and is born as a brother for adversity. God wants us, if we're going to be friends, if we're going to, to be in relationship with others, we need to do it to the very best of our ability. And not just sometime, but all the time. The second key to restoring a relationship is to humble ourselves. One of the greatest things you can do for your relationships is to humble yourself and admit when you were wrong. And all that can be tough because we don't like to admit that we've made a mistake. It's just easier to just play, play it out like we were right the whole time. Or try to 
manipulated in our head to where we can say, oh yeah, that was me. I'm, I was right. I was right. That's right. I told you so. And I told you so attitude will build up walls in all of your relationships. Why? Because people won't want to communicate and share with you because they're going to think that you always you know, have some kind of, well, yeah, I'm married to you. I told you so. I, I told you that from the beginning. God wants us to walk humbly, not only with others, but with Him. If you need restoration in your life in Christ, and you've kind of been in a long-distance space with Him, humbling ourselves is the quickest way back into the presence of God. God loves a humble heart. And He will be glorified when you take the step forward. This step in our relationship just crucifies our flesh real quick. Because we don't like to say we were wrong. When we admit how our actions have contributed to problems in our relationships with others, it takes everybody off guard. And it drops the weapons, you know. And then you can really work on restoration in your relationships. Your humble actions will show the love of Christ and possibly cause others to do the same. Especially in those relationships with your family, with your parents, your spouse, your children. Be quick to admit when we have messed up. When we've missed the mark. If you've flown off at someone in anger, be quick to say, hey, I was wrong. I messed up. Forgive me. Proverbs 19, or 17, 19 through 20. He who loves strife and is quarrelsome loves transgression and involves himself in guilt. He who raises high his gateway and is boastful and arrogant invites destruction. He who has a wayward and crooked mind finds no good. And he who has a willful and contrary tongue will fall into calamity. Have you ever known someone that just loves to stir the pot? <laughs> That's what this verse is talking about here. Don't always try to pick fights with people. Quit picking fights with people. Have you ever known someone that's just constantly contrary? Who always has to come with a problem or a way that won't work or a reason why it can't be done. God doesn't want us to walk in that way. That's not the way, the truth and the life that God has for us. Not being boastful or arrogant. Why? Because that invites destruction into our life. When we begin to think that we're so such a much and we put ourselves up on a pedestal, well, I'm better than you. You're the whole big mess of why this has happened. And if you could just see that, we could go somewhere with this. That's not the attitude that God wants us to bring into our relationships. Don't be a person who loves strife. 
Don't be a person of a crooked mind and finding no good within people. Remember what we talked about with love? What if we spoke to the good in people instead of everything that we see wrong with them? Now that's not to say that we never bring correction because the Bible clearly tells us to show people where they've missed the way in the Word of God. But if it's where they've missed our way, maybe we could keep our mouth shut on that. There's a difference in walking in the way and walking in our way. We show people where they've missed the mark walking in the way. But if it's just the way we want the cat skin, let them skin it however they want to. I don't know why anybody ever skinned a cat, but somebody did one time, and we're all paying for it since. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 2 through 3. Living as becomes you, with complete lowliness of mind and humility and meekness, and unselfishness and gentleness and mildness, with patience. Our driving theme in restoring relationships is being patient, getting over ourselves, and walking in love. Bearing with one another and making allowances because you love one another. Think about this. This is another marriage example. You have been asking forever for your husband to load the dishwasher. And one day you come home and, and it's all loaded. Haven't been started yet, but it's loaded. You open it up and you see all the dishes in there. And then the first thing that pops into your mind is, well, those plates weren't supposed to go on top. And that bowl's not going to get clean. And I just have to rearrange this because this is done. Honey, did you see the way that you did this? Come and take a look. <laughs> he loaded the dishwasher. Praise him, saints. That's not any example with my own husband. I'm just making a good example. I, we are not trying to start anything because my husband, he, he does awesome. <coughs> but be thankful for the things that people do, even if it's not in the way that you would have done them. Be thankful when people make an effort, even if it's not your way of making an effort. Be eager to keep harmony and oneness and produced by the Spirit and in binding power of peace. Walk in love with one. Oh, make allowances for one another. We don't always have to be on autocorrect. Well, you didn't do that right. 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 If you're like that with your kids, if you're like that with any of your family members, they're going to quit doing anything. Now, I'm not saying never to correct your kids, but there's a right spirit to correct with our children. There's a right spirit to 
ask for what we feel like we need in our relationships. God wants us to walk in peace and live in harmony and oneness with everybody. Look at Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing for factional motives, through contentiousness or strife or selfishness or unworthy ends, or prompted by conceit or empty arrogance. Instead, in the true spirit of humility and lowliness of mind, let each regard others as better and superior to himself, thinking more highly of one another than you do of yourself. Let each of you esteem and look upon and be concerned for not merely his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let the same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility. God wants us to walk humbly, not thinking that we have the right way or that people have to do it our way to get it done. Unless well, the Bible tells us there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And we walk it when we walk in that attitude with God, it puts walls up between us and God. When God, why aren't you doing it like this? And God, why aren't you doing it like that? Don't you see what that person is doing? Don't you see this and that? God, why aren't you working on this? That will alienate us from God when we have that kind of mindset that we know better. How dare we think we know better than God? But many times by the things we say and the actions that we take, we take on that mindset. God wants restoration for us. He wants it in area, every area of our life. <clears throat> he wants to restore our joy. He wants to restore our relationships. What does Micah 6, 8 say? He's shown you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness and mercy, and to humble yourself and walk humbly with your God. God wants to restore our relationships. It's going to take effort. If we've been far away from God, it's going to take effort to get back to where He is. If we've been far away from our spouse, it's going to take effort to get back close to them. If we've been far away with our kids, it's going to take effort to get back close to them. If we've been far away with our parents, it's going to take effort to get back close to them. But God wants to restore our relationships. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come, Jesus said, that they may have and enjoy their life to the full. Until it overflows. Let's stay. God, thank you that you want to restore us in every area. God, we pray that you would help us to make the efforts and the choices to change and realize that it's going to require. Thank you for joining us today. We would love to hear from you. You can write to us at Post Office Box 1004. That's P.O. Box 1004, Monticello, Arkansas, 71657. Or you can email us at lci.monticello at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also check out our website. It's www.getlife.co. 
That's www.getlife.co. There you can find Pastor Kelly and Pastor Josh's sermon notes, and you can see what's going on all through the week at Life Church. We would love to have you in one of our services with us. Join us Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. for our worship service. Pastor Kelly ministers, and it's a great time in the presence of God. Or you can join us for Digging Deep on Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Pastor Josh digs into the Word of God, connecting the Old Testament with the New Testament, and giving us a fresh biblical perspective from God's point of view. We hope that you have a great week this week. Remember, go live to make God look good. God bless you till we're with you again.